Hey guys, this is my leak. This is the My Taught You podcast and I am here today, today being Monday morning, July 24th, 2017. I'm here today to do a podcast that has been on my mind for quite a while. Um and it is titled uh when you don't know what you want to be when you grow up, right? So I want to talk you through that whole process and give you some tips on what to do. Um, I am checking in this morning from sunny Mexico. Um, I am here to do some work. Um, now it's basically, um, rolling up the sleeves and getting ready for the January, 2018. Um, I taught you retreat. Um, and I'm also here to kind of like wrap my mind around the live podcast, August 12th and 13th at the SCAD theater in Atlanta. Um, I'm going to cover some topics at the live podcast, obviously, but if you have some things that you'd like for me to cover at the live podcast, please shoot me an email at, um, my taught you at gmail.com and put live podcast in the subject for me, please. Um, I am up pretty early this morning. Uh, I was up early this morning and I finished my notes. I started working on this podcast last week. And so I finished this morning. I've got my coffee. Um, bear with me. I finally feel awake and alive. Uh, the sun is up, but, um, I feel like a lot of people struggle with not knowing what they want to be or thinking that they thought they knew what they wanted to be. And all of a sudden, um, that's not exactly working out. So, um, from the time we are little kids, people start asking us what we want to be when we grow up. Right. I mean, I could be wrong, but I just feel like that's so irresponsible. How does a five-year-old know what they want to be and why are we already sort of putting that pressure on a kid to have an answer? So that is sort of like the groundwork I think for me is like when I started to think about, you know, what do you want to be when you quote unquote grow up? That is something that we start as, um, we start placing on children very young. I mean, I, I, I recall being asked that question and I see a lot of adults asking kids that question and they'll say everything from, you know, spiders to doctors. But like the minute that a kid says something that impresses whoever is asking, I think we learn very early um, when you say the right thing and you see someone's eyes light up and you know that that impresses them, we instantly sort of like fall into simply feeling like we need an answer or, or saying, having to say something that's going to impress someone because we are looking for that positive reaction. Right. Um, so I believe that from the time that we are small children, we feel pressured to have an answer. Um, I remember starting college and really having no real idea of what I wanted to be as an adult. I'm serious. Like I really didn't know. Um, for right now, I want to be able to understand this whole like moving away from home thing and going to college without much money, if that's okay with you, right? Um, how can I focus on what I want to be when I'm really just trying to figure out how to become an adult for the very first time? Um, and I remember as soon as I graduated, um, that was the question, you know, what are you, what's your major? What are you going to be? And I, and I constantly felt like, comparing myself to people when I felt like people had more guided or direct or better answers, um, than I did. Okay. So uh, then there's this whole idea of just wanting to say something that sounded sexy, right? 
Um, I was a business major for a long time and that's very fit fitting because today I'm a business owner, but those classes just were not it for me. Um, I eventually changed my major to something that sounded less, less sexy on the outside, but made me feel 1000% better on the inside. Um, if you care, I think I've mentioned this a couple of times before, but I have a bachelor of science in consumer and family studies with an emphasis on fashion merchandising. Um, my college roommate always tells me that beauty is fashion. So she believes that my degree is helpful. Um, I donate to my college to this day when I can, because I really felt, uh, like changing my major to fashion merchandising made me happy. And though it didn't sound like the sexiest thing at the time, um, I was going to school in San Francisco tech where it's all about tech, but I just believe that it shaped my professional career and it really aided in my happiness because, um, I've talked about this maybe years ago. Uh, that while I was in college, I uh, kind of got kicked out because my grades uh, fell apart because I had stopped going to school for like months. I just laid in bed. And so I was diagnosed depressed. I had to um, go to the doctor and basically start like a talk therapy treatment plan. And the I had to have a note basically to get back in school. But how I was able to get back in school was through the talk therapy. Um, when we were just going through the issues, it was just we realized I was not happy. And so I remember her telling me, like, change your major. Like I was like, I don't like school. I'm not happy on and on and on. And so what would you rather be doing? I'd rather be doing this. And she's just like, change your major. So. Um, I changed my major and, uh, I was happy because I, because I really enjoyed the classes. Um, so I've got various points and various sub points to points. So if you'll just roll with me, um, I'm going to get started with the first point for writing down the first rule that we have to start this, this podcast off with is this is your life. You cannot live it for others or for, or, or, um, let me, let me start over you guys. Okay. This is your life. You cannot live it for others or for what you want people to believe about you. So I, I truly believe that. And that was something that I was able to have some help in understanding at like 20 years old. It's like, this is your life. You cannot live it for others or for what you want people to believe about you. So I have a note, according to a 2008 School of Life survey, over half of 20-somethings regret their career choice and would choose a different path if they could go back and do it all over. So don't, if you don't like it now, feel okay changing it now because you don't want to live a life of regret where you wish that you could have changed something that you can change right now, right? So that's a, that's a little point. Number two get comfortable with saying, I don't know when people ask you that dreaded question. What are you doing after college? What are you doing now that you've moved to such and such? What are you doing now that you're married? What are you doing now? What are you doing? What are you doing? Get comfortable saying, I don't know. Do you know that to this day, people still ask me what I'm going to do next? I'm like, are you serious? 
I mean, can you can you be okay with what I'm doing now? And I feel like people just constantly put this pressure, like once you've done one thing, let me now be on your back about what's next. And it's just like, okay, Miley, you have um, started a successful subscription business. You have a popular podcast. You do this and you do that. What are you going to do next? And it's just like, oh my God. Um, get comfortable saying, I don't know, you know, and that's really what I say. I don't know. And not needing to have an explanation beyond that. I don't know is a full answer and a full sentence, just like the word. No, I don't know is an answer. Um, and the answer to what do you mean? You don't know is I don't know the end. Okay. Number three is learning to embrace, embrace uncertainty. Um, did you know that most American workers will change their careers roughly seven times in a lifetime? Um, so why do you feel bad when you no longer want to do what you always thought you wanted to do? Right. So I know a lot of people struggle with that. So I have a couple stories to tell you about me and my just knowing what I was going to be doing with my life and how that constantly got shook up. But after my coffee sip. Okay. I could have sworn that I was going to be a professional makeup artist when I was in my late teens and early twenties. I'm serious. Um, I worked at glamor shots as an assistant at first, and then I worked my way up to getting to do actual hair and makeup um, do you guys remember Glamour Shots? Like I started working at Glamour Shots when I was 18 and I'll never forget like when I for real learned how to do makeup. I'll never forget this girl, Jamie, uh, at the Glamour Shots at the South Bay Galleria taught me how to do makeup, taught me how to do that little black eyeshadow in the corner thing that just sets everything off and makes you look different and amazing. Um, so from there I took on various makeup jobs while I was in college. Um, I've worked at, I worked at the Clinique, Clinique counter for a while. Um, I worked at the Mac counter for a while and I even worked at Lancome for a short period. Um, but I worked at all those places, Macy's, Nordstrom, you name it. And at towards the end of college, I eventually got a job at an agency doing freelance work. Um, and then I got a taste of brides, right? So once you start doing makeup and people, and you have your kit, um, people started contacting me to do bridal makeup. And, you know, I knew after I did a few brides that I was going to be out of the makeup game. I just don't, I don't have the temperament for that. You know, it's like kind of what it is. And if there's some new brides out there, make note, you know, it's like women who have never worn makeup, one makeup for their wedding day, but then don't recognize themselves in makeup because they've never worn makeup. So it was just far too much emotional work for me. And honestly, as I advanced, I realized that I wasn't really that good, you know, because the reason why I was so sort of like bothered by, I guess the demands were that I couldn't meet them. So it's like, this is the one way that I do makeup. This is the only way that I do it. And so if you want this, that, and the other, um, I don't believe that I was good enough to do, uh, you know, to sort of advance in the career. So, um, I felt like, since I didn't have the desire to 
get better or even be the best at it, I needed to move on, right? And I think that that's a really good sort of self-check. Like a lot of times we have a career and we're doing something and we, we don't like something about it, right? And we could get better at that, but we just don't have the desire to get better. If you don't have the desire to be the best or get better, move on and don't torture folks. Just move on. Um, the same thing happened when I got kind of like need when I got into the PR field. Um, from 24 to about 29, I was knee deep in PR red carpets. Um, I remember I kicked off the Lincoln Park tour, uh, rest in peace to Chester Bennington. I had gone to like Saturday night live with them, um, kicked off the whole sort of like press run, uh, and, and went on the first several dates of the tour. Um, I had worked with Prince. I had even been to his house. Uh, but at around 30 years old, I was on the red carpet. Um, the client that I was taking down the red carpet was pretty Ricky. Okay. Um, make no mistake. There are some pretty Ricky songs that I like, um, but I think this was like their second or third attempt to make a comeback. And I looked at myself on the red carpet. I'll never forget. Um, it's a hot day. It's the BET hip hop awards in Atlanta. And I have on this black, like sequin jacket, right over like some pants and a top. And, uh, pretty Ricky shows up and the whole band is wearing black sequin jacket. So now I'm looking like the fourth or fifth. I can't remember how many members of pretty Ricky. Okay. Then as we're walking down the carpet, it was just like chaos. And I said to myself, I was like, I'm not going to be doing this by 40. Like I just won't be, um, I just was like this, I can't be doing this. It felt, it didn't feel comfortable for me. I felt sort of like out of place and I didn't enjoy it. I did a good job. Um, and I think I only walked, I only did one more red carpet after that. The very last red carpet that I did, I did one more and that was, um, candy. Uh, I took candy down the actual BET awards carpet. This is years ago. Um, I think it might've been her first or second, maybe second or third season of housewives, but I took her down the BET carpet and I like, I, I enjoy candy. I love candy. I see her I actually ran into her, uh, at the four seasons hotel a couple weeks ago, but I just was like, this is not me. Like, I don't want to do this, you know? Um, so I just said, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I didn't know, uh, what I was going to do next, but I just started to read a ton of books, for ideas of how to move on. And that brought me to my current landing place, which is Curlbox. So my next, my next point is number four, which you're probably looking at me like, well, okay, how do I choose professions or move along in life, um, and cover my bills? Right. Um, so instead of following some sort of faux path, this faux, I meet a lot of people and they think that like success is just this, this ladder to the top, which, and I always tell people it's more of a jungle gym. You're going to, sometimes you're going to go across, sometimes you're going to go down, but you, instead of you following this sort of faux path created by you or your parents or your teachers or your quote unquote Instagram mentors, um, think about how you can use your strengths, your talent, um, to make a difference. Um, it doesn't, have to be sort of like the end all be all for your career. But if you 
just get started with something that makes you feel good. Um, and that is serving others. Uh, you will have this joy when you go to work and things will eventually develop from there. Um, I feel like we tend to have lots of interests, but not knowing makes us feel like we have none. Okay. So, um, I'm shocked at how quickly I got through, got through those points. I thought I have four pages of notes. I thought this was going to be a while, but maybe it won't be. Okay. So now this is the most critical part to me. Um, now, okay. We, we have established that you don't really know what you want to do. That's totally fine. I don't know was the answer. You can tell, you can tell people you don't know, but I think that this is the most important part and that is how to be while you're figuring out your what, right? How often do you go places and you meet people working there and say, my goodness, he or she needs to find something that they enjoy because I shouldn't have to be tortured like this. The roll in the eyes, the the snippiness, the short service. We know people aren't happy at their jobs. Um, and we just say, we wish that they would find something or could find something that they enjoy. So I feel like when people aren't happy at work, they tend to take it out on everyone around them, their boss, their coworkers, their family, their customers. So I'm going to give you some tips on sort of like what to do, um, how to transition, um, and something that has been on my mind for a while. Um, and I say, if you aren't happy where you are, I encourage you, I encourage you to find something else, but more importantly, I encourage you to leave on a high note. Um, I think that we are, we have been conditioned to believe that goodbyes have to be dramatic. Um, and they don't have to be dramatic, you know, um, endings happen all the time. And, and I would like to challenge you to, to have a graceful ending in the story that is your life as you move on to different things. Um, so I haven't always had graceful endings. Um, I think that's just a part of the, the learning process. Um, I think that just based on like my familial upbringing and my lack of maturity, I always felt like things had to be like crazy and chaotic at the end. And I used to think that you didn't have a right to just say, I really want to move on and do something else. And there's nothing wrong with you or this job or with whatever. And even if I do feel like something's wrong, the bottom line is that I'm just ready to move on. And a lot of times people write me and ask, well, when's a good time for me to leave my job? And I think that at the point that you feel like you, at the point that you feel like you're ready um, I do think, uh, as young adults, we can be a little bit job hoppy, right? But like they said, you, as an American, you'll probably change your career seven times. Um, but try to give things time. And once you've given them time and you've decided it's not for you, um, I want you to leave on a high note and I'm, I have some tips to help you leave on a high note. Um, the first thing you want to do is make sure you get everything in order, right? Um, I think so often we are, we want to quit because we listen to a podcast and something hit us and now we realize that we're at the wrong place and like, I want to go in and I'm going to quit tomorrow. Um, or, you know, we have this side hustle, this online business, and all of a sudden we had a good weekend of sales and now we want to just, you know, we want to leave. 
and you know it could be a host of a host of things but i encourage you to get everything in order sort of like where are you going and what are you going to do and you want to make sure that you collect um, anything that you may need to take with you and so i remember the very first time or the second time now i've probably i've quit i've quit i had quit quite a few jobs i got fired from quite a few jobs i quit quite a few jobs but one time when i quit I said to myself, <laughs> you need to be prepared to get booted out the door the day you quit. You know, you can put in your two week notice, but sometimes jobs are like, no, thank you. You can go. So you want to make sure you have everything that you may need in the event that you get booted out the door. Um, number two, when it comes to leaving on a high note, and I think that a lot of people make this very uh, this is a very crucial mistake that I have seen a lot of people do is don't start doing whack work or not doing the work or slacking off because you no longer like it or you've had an epiphany or your side hustles popping. So now you're going to just start half-assing because I mean, I'm making more money on my own or these people don't care about me or, you know, my boss is a hater or whatever it is. It's like, you have to be thinking about as often as you possibly can be thinking about this the decisions that you are making today are for your future life you know it's like I am 38 years old and I tell people I am working at 28 when I was going super hard I was working for my 38 year old life and what is my 38 year old life I'm sitting here in Mexico in a really lovely room recording a podcast I am employed I am doing what I love like this is something that brings me I feel like serving others um, and brings me joy to do this. And so where, wherever you are in life, you know, try to remove your emotion from how you quote unquote feel and think about what am I doing for my future? So, um, you can't just slack off or half ass because you're mad or because you had this epiphany. Um, don't mess up your chances of getting a glowing recommendation, right? Like if you can, so this is where your quote unquote personal brand and reputation come into play. So, so many people are all up on this personal brand thing. And I know a couple of people have written me, have I done the personal branding podcast? I haven't, I will work on it. Maybe I'll talk about it at the live podcast, but so, so often we're like, my personal brand is, do I take dope pictures on Instagram? Are my fonts popping? Do I have the dopest quote, the most inspirational quote? You know, am I linking up with, you know, am I taking pictures with all the hottest people and posting it? And it's like, that's not your um, personal brand. It's like, this is where you start to cultivate and create your personal brand is how you can leave on a high note. Um, so think about that. I always say your personal brand is not what you say about yourself or how you feel or what you post. It's what people say about you when you're not around. And that is in terms of your work, right? We don't care if they like your outfit or not. We don't care if they like your hair, but your personal brand is whether or not people respect the work that you do. Um, number three is that I think you need to sort of plan your transition, um, once you have turned in your um, resignation letter, uh, I would I would offer to train the replacement in the two weeks, right? Like, you know, I'm willing to hang around and train the replacement. And if you are going off on your own and you don't have a new hire, 
a new work date, um, to offer them some time, you know, to find someone and move on. So if you have a couple months that you are willing to give, I say, give it, uh, to help them out. And if you can't do that, you know, it doesn't hurt to type up some quick notes and hand your boss a quick sort of like reference reference guide for the next person, because this is your personal brand. This is how you go out on a high note. This is how people are like, I was really, I was really sad or sorry to lose X, Y, Z, but I mean, what can I negatively say about someone who was so freaking classy on her way out the door or his way out the door? Um, this is your personal, this is your personal brand. Um, I, I, my fourth point is keep it cute. Um, this is not a time to sort of air your grievances, you know, unless it's something I think like a legal issue or, or something like that. I really just don't think it's that serious. I think, um, as you are sort of going through life and realizing that I'm probably going to have seven different careers over the course of my life, if this is career one, career two, career four, kind of just accept it as just a part of, of life's transitions, Um, I had a lot of different sort of life transitions and I was not always sort of the, the happiest, you know, um, but you just keep it cute. Thank you very much for the opportunity. These are the things that I really enjoy working here. If you, if there is an exit interview, um, continue to keep it cute, uh, work, put your PR hat on, uh, think about your personal brand. You know, you don't have to get all, deep into it, but, um, this is where that is. Number five. Sorry, you guys, a little, a little stuffy. Um, number five is say thank you. I think far too, um, often we get into this cycle of like, well, I'm there and I'm working and they need to thank me. And it's like, you weren't working for free. You got paid. It was an even exchange. So, they can thank you for your time and you thank them for the opportunity. Number six, uh, I want you to be gracious. I think grace, um, grace and class as you are leaving places is underrated. Um, it will carry you further. I'm telling you, like, it's not just about how hard you worked when you were somewhere. It's about how gracefully, um, you left and number seven, say goodbye, go ahead and say goodbye to everyone, regardless of what note you're leaving on. Um, just say goodbye, be gracious, say thank you. Um, uh, I have some other points of while you are at a place you like, but still don't feel quote unquote there, right? So say you've done all this, you've taken all the different steps that I've meant steps that I've mentioned, or you realize you don't really hate your job. You just don't like the fact that you're not where you quote unquote want to be. So what do I do while I am kind of figuring it out or I'm in, you know, I'm in limbo. The number one thing that I want you to do is to be incredible. Um, if you're going to be sweeping the floors, be the best at doing that. Regardless of what you're doing, I want you to be incredible and to be your best. And I'm going to tell you why people notice someone is watching you be the best at something they may know isn't the best or most fun job in the world. Um, I don't think I told you about the time. Maybe I did. I've told you guys everything Did I tell you about the time that I didn't really love my job a ton, but a girl that worked um, with us saw my dedication 
um, and put me put me on to do a job that actually got me out of that job. So uh, right after college, I had gotten this part time job. And um, while I mean, it was an interesting opportunity, um, I think people could see that it was not the best fit for me and not like the best personality fit. Um, I was just, you know, I'm strong and tactical and I could move. And I just don't think that the leadership for me at the time uh, was a good fit for my personality. And so she noticed me. She had she had started the job from like one of these bigger Hollywood agencies. And she's like, you know, you look like you're working so hard and you should be at one of the top PR firms because I was working in the PR department. And she was like, you're like, you're too good for this. Like you should be at one of the top PR firms. And I remember being like, I didn't even know what the top PR firms were. I had, I, I, I had no idea. I had just graduated from college. And so she ended up, um, she ended up turning me on to this job list, the, the UTA job list that I think still exists in the industry, but she would print it off for me. And from that moment, I think I interviewed with like Warner brothers, Fox, um, Disney. I interviewed with everybody because of this job list that she got me. And so what if I had been like at that job, I was not happy, um, and just like rolling my eyes, half-assing. And this girl didn't notice. She noticed me doing hard work. She didn't notice that I was unhappy. Right. So that is why you have to always do your best. Um, in another instance, I didn't feel like I was being treated fairly in terms of the pay at the job that I had. And eventually one of the clients, uh, offered me a job, offering me twice my salary at the time. And I just keep thinking, what would have happened if I had walked around looking miserable every day and half-assing? I would have played myself, right? So that's what I'm trying to get you to understand when you are, when your attitude, um, when you allow your attitude to interfere with the fact that you aren't exactly where you want to be yet. And just understanding that that's a part of the process. Like it's rare that you kind of just jump out the frame knowing exactly what you want to do. But um, you play yourself when you don't go out on a high note. You play yourself when you sit there and sort of like half ass because you not feeling it or whatever. You'd rather be doing something else. And so. Um, I read this and I'm going to share it with you. If you're not doing your best, then you're operating at a lower level. You're compromising your standards and you're setting yourself up to create bad habits and attitudes that accept consistently substandard performances. So I got to read that to you guys again. If you're not doing your best, then you're operating at a lower level. You're compromising your standards and you're setting yourself up to create bad habits and attitudes that accept consistently substandard performances. So it's like now you're going to accept this and accept this. This stuff bleeds, right? Um, just like I think positivity bleeds, I think this sort of behavior bleeds as well. And so I'm going to leave you guys with a Martin Luther King Jr. quote. Um, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven played music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say he lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Um, do your very best because you can.
Bye, guys.